Let us pray. O Holy Spirit, eternal King and giver of life incorruptible, look down in thine infinite mercy on the infirmities of our nature. Illumine and hallow us. Let the light of thy knowledge shine forth in our darkened hearts and in the earthen vessels of our nature manifest thine invincible strength, who livest and reignest with the Father and the Son, ever one God, world without end. Amen. I can't recall whether I told you, but the prayers I'm using come out of, they're from St. Sophroni of Essex, uh, who wrote a book called We Shall See Him As He Is, and he likes to intersperse his prayers, his personal prayers, which he seems to like to write as much as he writes wrote books, uh, insert his prayers into the chapters. So I thought, it'd be, since we're talking about stuff that Father Zacharias says, who was a disciple of St. Sophroni, might be appropriate to include those prayers in there. Today I want to talk about knowing our measure. This is what Father Zacharias speaks of this. He says in, in, in the enlargement of the heart, each Christian must know his own measure. One can pray for one hour, another a quarter of an hour, another only for, minute, for minutes or 10 minutes. But we must find even 10 minutes during which only God and us are upon the earth. So he, he, used, he, he doesn't use the word measure very frequently, but the concept is woven throughout everything he says. And by the way, I told you he had 18 books out. There's a new one out. <laughs> so... I guess I'll just have to break that. My wife doesn't know this, but I guess I'll have to say, I heard you say that. <laughs> so, anyway, he, he, the concept of knowing our measure is implied throughout his works. What does he mean by this? Well, our measure is our limitations, understanding our limitations. And I break it down into three categories, personal, current, and situational. Personal is... Uh, that each of us is an individual, different, entirely different. What, it, what God does is the same in general in all of us, in each of us, and yet the way we are as individuals also pattern or plays a part in that picture. So we can't measure ourselves against other people. We measure ourselves against Christ, uh, and that's where we get to know ourselves. Plus, there's the whole issue of male-female. In spite of what our society says, there are inherent distinctions between us. It's not just the plumbing is different. There is, women are more spiritually inclined than we men are. It's just the way it is. You all know it. We all know it. And when I hear conversations, women, you know, you get, y'all get together and you say, men. <laughs> you're all laughing because you know you've done it. And, and we know exactly what you're talking about. And men get together and they talk about their wives, you know. Oh, man. See, we know. There was a study some years ago, about 20 years ago, I guess. By, I think it was the Barna operation that did the institute, the Barna Institute that did it, about the percentages of men and women in churches in America. And the interesting thing was that in this Barna study, uh, in this study, whoever did it, uh, it had the, about eight of the mainline denominations in America. And in every one of them, the percentage of male-female was something like 45% male, 55% female, more or less. In orthodoxy, that was reversed. See, orthodoxy, I will say this, orthodoxy appeals to the masculine soul. That's why more men show up in orthodox churches uh, and as inquirers and things of that nature. 
it appeals to the masculine soul. And it doesn't need to appeal to the feminine soul because you guys get it anyway. <laughs> so you only have to try. So how it really would be nice, I can tell you it's really hard for us guys. We don't get spiritual things. It just doesn't come naturally. Really have to work at it. So when I talk about this work, really it comes, I think it's mainly focused on, uh, on we males. So any personal first aspect of knowing our measure, we have to know what our, we have to come to an understanding of our personal limitations. Uh, and then secondly, current, that is the limitations of our sins. We each have our own sin patterns and those limit us. We have to work with, we have to work from that. And I'll come back to that in a minute. And lastly, situation, situational, that is married versus single, two different arenas of combat. If, and if you don't know that, you, you need to wake up. <laughs> uh, lay versus clerical. You know, so I, I remember thinking, well, if I could just be a priest and I could get this, it'd be so much easier for me. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. I, you don't want to be priest. So start. And anyway, you don't get to unless you start with where we are, unless we start where we are. We have to come to grips and, and develop our spiritual lives where we are before that even happens. And finally, secular versus monastic. Well, if I were a monk, I could do so much better. Well, wrong. Wrong. It's, we, we have to start here. And if we don't do it well in this in, in our ordinary lives, we will not do it well in the monastic life or the clerical life or anything else. So those three. Now, here's the second point of this. They're limitations, but they're limitations which are starting points. We don't say, well, I can't do any better. You know the old American excuse, I'm only human? Number one, that's wrong because it's errant humanity. True humanity doesn't have these problems, and that's where we're going. And secondly, they're starting points, not ends. So I can't use that as an excuse. Well, I'm a male, and we guys just don't get it, and I have my sin patterns, which, you know, blame them on God, and and, uh, you know, I'm a priest, and so things are harder on me, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I can't do these things. Wrong. Wrong. They're starting points. So we understand what our measure is as a, so as a starting point in the spiritual life. All right, here's where I am. I'm a mess. Here's where I am. I don't understand this stuff. Here's where I am. Now, what do we do about it? I have to know my measure first before I can begin. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Give you an example. People have never prayed before, particularly males. Never prayed before. So when we talk about the importance of prayer, uh, I get in, I get questioned frequently by the males. How do I start? How do I learn to pray? Well, the first thing is we have to know our measure. We I have a problem with it. I really have a problem with it. And we guys have to admit we really have a problem with it. So we start, we, if we've never prayed before, there's the measure in knowing is that we've never prayed before. You know, we're so afraid, we're so embarrassed to admit, I've never learned to pray. I wouldn't let you know that, you know, so I wouldn't want to be humiliated. Well, well that's the starting point. I don't know what I'm doing, and I got to learn. So that's our starting point. And then, when, then when someone asks, well, how do I begin? What I always say is start easy. Start easy. The two things that have to be established when one doesn't know how to pray, and that is setting this, the times for it and establishing them and making them have it 
and knowing what prayers to use to start. I had a parishioner know how to pray, and he heard me say something about the divine offices, so he immediately went into doing twice a day full matins and vespers. <laughs> full matins and vespers. And it, to his credit, he was able to keep it up for about a month. Wow. And then one day I asked him, I said, how are you doing on your prayer time? And he wasn't doing anything. That's typical. So we want to start out simply. Well, we say to somebody who's never prayed before, they say, how, what do I do? And I say, and you, some of you have asked me this, and I've said this. Say, let's establish two times a day. So let's, let's say hypothetically, seven o'clock in the morning and five o'clock in the evening. Okay, establish. That's hypothetical. You know, you do, you do what works for you. I had a cop parishioner who, who prayed at his, was it Vespers at four o'clock in the morning when he got off his midnight shift. And he prayed matins at something like 11 o'clock in the evening before he started his evening shift or his midnight shift. So he was totally backwards. But I, I didn't argue with him. He had it down. I wasn't, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But in any case, uh, when I ask, people ask me, how do I start? Well, get the time set and stay with those. And number two, this is what I want you to pray. The Kyrie, Lord have mercy upon us, Christ have mercy upon us, Lord have mercy upon us, only three times. The Our Father, you all know that. The Gloria Patri, glory be to the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, etc. And the Hail Mary, nothing more. That takes maybe one minute. So, is that all? Yeah, if you know your measure, you know if you do anything else, it's going to be too much and you're going to fail. We want to succeed here. So we have to know our measure, our limitations and our circumstances, and we have to be willing to admit them. There's a story in the monastic tradition about a guy who wanted to be a monk. And he went to, to a monastery and he told the abbot, I really want to be a monk here. And the abbot said, well, the first thing you have to learn is obedience. And the guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the abbot said, this is what I want you to do. I'm gonna welcome you into the monastery, but I want you to take your first assignment here and go to the gates of the monastery and welcome in everyone who comes to visit and say to them, I have epilepsy, pray for me. Guy didn't have epilepsy. So he had to be obedient in a very fundamental way to what the abbot said. So if he'd been so too prideful, he would have said, well, that's not, number one, that's not true. And number two, I want something better than standing at the door being a gatekeeper. So, but he didn't, he did as he was told. 20 years later, 20 years later, the abbot decided to give him a different assignment. And when he did, the man was angry because he had gotten so many blessings about doing what he was told in his measure, in his knowing his measure, the basic step, that he didn't want to lose all that. Well, he wasn't going to lose it. He was going to take it to another step up and deepen it, but still, he came to that point where he was blessed immensely by doing what the abbot said. Now, the third tale. I had a man in the parish who, who, who thought that he knew more about liturgy than the priest uh, he served. This is not a confession, and this is not me. So, so he thought he could do better than the priest. He was a layman. He thought he could do better than the priest he served. Uh, so until he experienced a more liturgically knowledgeable priest. And then suddenly he realized his measure was that he didn't know what he was talking about. Well, that was a real blessing for him because knowing that measure 
he, he stepped into the virtue of humility, which we're going to look at in the future, I think the next time. Uh, and since then, he's gone on to become a deacon in the church. And in my estimation, he's a model deacon. You want to know what it means to be a deacon in the church, you follow him. And he would probably tell you no, but that goes with the character. Uh, in any case, how do we get to this point of knowing our measure? Well, I, this is, this is me, but I think Father Zachary would sort of agree with this. All of you have received via email, I think, the, the self-examination that you sent out. Go through it. Do not bother about what you don't agree with. Do not bother about what doesn't apply to you. Just write down what does apply. Go through it. Write it down. Put it on a piece of paper. You can read it. And then review it regularly. That's your measure. Easy to do. Any fool can do it. And that, by the way, when we know our measure, we realize we are fools. <laughs> fools for Christ. That's okay. That's all right. You know, the whole house of us over here, a bunch of sinners gathered together, not a bunch of righteous people. I like that in the Roman Catholic, one of their translations of the Bible you know, that verse that says, I have called, come to call the, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The translation says, I have come not to call the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. The self-righteous. So we're only righteous in our own eyes. So in any case, this is our measure. I personally have always admired, and so I put those three right there. I personally have always admired saints who pray all night. And when you start reading some of the stories of some of the saints of Orthodox, you hear some of them prayed through the night hours and deprived themselves of sleep. Well, I got to have, you know, six or seven hours of sleep a night. I just can't do that. So I admire these people. St. Silouan would maybe sleep an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And he had a stool, something like this, low to the ground. So when he got really tired, he would sit down in his cell and sit on the stool and fall asleep on the stool. And he did that so they wouldn't fall into deep sleep and, and pamper himself too much. So, I, wow. And then St. John Maximovich did more or less the same thing, except he had a chair. That's sort of a relic now in one of the churches on the north, in the Northwest, the chair of St. John Maximovich. So I always admired these people. Oh, I'd like to be like that. Well, I have to know my, I've already told you, I, I tried to emulate the Benedictines to get up at two o'clock in the morning and I fell asleep. So my measure is I can't do it. That's, that's just the way it is. I mean, I, I have to have my sleep. I have different sleep patterns than these people do. Well, someone taught me then how to apply their, their, their example to my own life. And that is number one, generalize the situation. What is the general situation of people do this? And that's prayer during the night hours. That's the generalization. I don't mean reduce it to a metaphor, which is what everybody wants to do in America. Everything's a metaphor. I remember in, in being in a non-Orthodox non seminary and the, the theology professor gave a sermon on how the resurrection of Christ was nothing more than a metaphor about entering into eternal life. Wrong. So we're not talking about reducing to, to metaphors. We're talking about generalizing. What's the general concept? Prayer during the night hours. Secondly, then apply, figure out how to apply the generalization uh, to the particulars of one's life. 
So the particulars, prayer during the night hour, I started examining myself. I thought, how can I do this? I can't even do it. And assessing myself that I'm a restless sleeper. And probably about four times a night, I wake up for at least five minutes and I'm wide awake for just that short time. Then I fall back asleep. Well, I figured out, you know, I could pray for people during each of those periods. So I created some lists, put to my memory. I don't have much memory, but that worked. Um, and I put it to memory. And so when I'd wake up, I'd go through the lists. Uh, and then if I finished them, I'd start over. Well, I thought it's not St. John Maximovich. It's not St. Silvan, but it's, it's works for me. It's works where I am. It's, it, it admits my measure, and it's a starting point for me to learn. If I'm ever going to get where they are, it will require me to start here. And I need to do that. And the third step of that is then implement whatever you figure out as a starting point. Knowing our measure marks our starting points. Saints, Saint, uh, I say saint, he probably will be someday, and he probably would deny this, but Father Zacharias says, the greatness of the Christian is not in the functions he performs, but in how he performs them. And he adds, in return, grace is transmitted to the individual, for it is God himself who is the rewarder in the place where he reigns. And when we say that, when we strive to do this, when we know our measure, when we admit our measure, our limitations as starting points, then that's the place where God reigns and manifests himself. So knowing our measure indicates, initiates the following. We begin to discern ourselves, and we get to know ourselves. That's really important that we know ourselves. And that's what knowing the measure is. And when we do that, we, begun to, we thus begin to undercover, uncover the hypostatic principle in us, that which is, makes us able to communicate with God. And we therefore, by entering into that, attract God. We don't make God come down. We simply open ourselves, and he waits for us to open ourselves. And thus we begin the journey of becoming co-creators with God, co-creating within ourselves, which is what Adam was set out to do and what we are intended to do. And that speaks so highly of God's love for us and what he, what he expects of us, that he would leave it in place and expect us to respond to it. But we get there, one of the ways in which we get there is knowing our measure, knowing our limitations as starting points for entering into the journey of eternal, of eternal life and eternity. Anyway, finished quicker than I thought, so... If you want to dare, you may ask questions. Before, before that, you know, as I've watched over the last 10 years, you know, inquirers and catechumens as they come in, it's very natural to be very excited about all the illumination. Uh, what I find is, is when they open their hearts and they come to the church, Christ is very faithful to explode the illumination on them. And so the tendency, the natural reaction is because of a right heart that wants all of that, they choke trying to eat the whole steak at times. <laughs> <laughs> the way Orthodox Christians 
who, because of their weaknesses or things have not happened to them that have brought them to a place of, of really being desperate for Christ, when they awaken, they tend to do the same thing. They try to go 100, hit the gas pedal, go 100 miles an hour. And what's, what's beautiful about what we're hearing is, is the appropriateness. Last week, if you remember, man being the target of God, and I love the example that someone gave about the bucket of water. Adam. Adam. The bucket of water where, where with physics all the pressure is equal everywhere, just waiting to come out in all of its power. And then if just a crack happens, it gushes in. If you consider this simplicity, starting from where you are, not where you're not, we find how we can crack a door open. Because the moment that we do the most basic things right from where we are, the crack happens. And he floods us. And we may sit enjoying that flooding right there for quite a while, like the monk. Or we may so hunger for more, we find out, okay, now I'm here. What can I do now that I'm here? The door opens a little further, more comes in. It's steps, not leaps. And God honors every baby step, and he races him. So that concept is good for all of us at all times. And that's the way. That is the way of discipleship, not the big steps. Only a rare few do that, and it's pride, the sin of pride on our parts to think that we're exceptions to the rule. I assure you, most of us are not, starting right here. <laughs> So we learn the small steps first. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, I have always thought of marriage and monasticism as being very similar. But, <laughs> but what do you think? <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> um, they, they share in, in terms of obedience, and, and but although a lot of Americans don't get it that marriage is like that. An obligation, either similar as far as well. Like, well, for example, the monastic. I may have. I may have to answer to an art to to an abbot and, and to other monks. Basically, I'm on my own and I'm dealing with me. When I'm married, I'm, I've got a spouse who's another half of me, and I gotta, oh, everything I do has to that individual. So another avenue. It's a different way of approach. A different approach. Uh, Father Zacharias says that from Saint Sophroni that that. Marriage is a way in which we can practice monasticism, uh, obedience like the monastics do. And that is in a marriage, we'll get everybody in trouble now, guys, get ready. Uh, in, that in marriage, proper operation is when each of them competes with one another to be obedient to one another, much like one would do in a monastery. So he takes a monastic concept and applies it to marriage. I feel like it's always the power structure. Yeah. Marriage is a power structure. Well, that's because two sinners are butting heads and they're not supposed to. <laughs> they're supposed to work as a team. We're supposed to learn teamwork, which what one also learns in a monastery. And if we know ourselves, we are less likely to then be critical of others, as you all know. <laughs> so if we really, I mean, it's like I was listening to the sermon today, thinking about that lesson and, you know, this. Uh, 
I hear, I hear God speaking, how dare you come here and, and demand forgiveness from me when you won't forgive that so-and-so, you know? Uh, and I, I think of myself and withholding forgiveness and stuff like that. Uh, and I think, yeah, he's probably outraged at me. Well, that's, I'm a sinner like that. I'm a, I, I'm, I'm just, I do that wrongly. And the starting point for me is knowing that. I'm lying if I'm talking to myself, if I think that I can be a Christian and, and be faithful to Christ, even be a decent priest, if I haven't mastered that one fundamental step. And that reflects on everything else I do. I mean, I go home to my wife, and instead of being blessed by her presence, I'm instead uh, worrying about her faults. You know, and couples do that. We, we know each other's faults all too well. <laughs> do we dwell on them or do we use them as icons for us to see reality so that we can grow together? So anyway. Yes, sir. How do you tell the difference between like a temporary limitation and a personal just foundational limitation? Like, for example, you, you mentioned you got to have six, seven hours of sleep, whereas some of the monastics don't. So does it really just come down to like okay, generalize and apply the concept and then just trust that God will help you figure out what your limitations are? Yeah, I think, yeah, and you do it under under authority. So here I'm piling it on you, you see, but he's the rector of the parish. So you, 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 you take up that assignment in consultation with him or someone who's assigned by him, who knows, has been down the road and knows, and that way they help you put it together. That, that's very monastic. Well, and that knowing of ourselves and coming to, even the process of coming to know our limitations, we need the outside wisdom. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can do the self-examination and it's perfectly good to do. I need to bring what I find to my priest or to my bishop or to my mentor or mentors. Mm -hmm and let them say, what do you see? And how do I go about posturing my soul to God based on this? We need the outside, every one of us, because we see darkly for ourselves, you know. And when someone else eyeballs, another person checking that out might say, you know, this isn't going to work for you. <laughs> so you need to adjust the, the application of the generalization. Spares us a lot of frustration. Yes. Yeah, and failure that may make us worse than we were before. Remember what Jesus said about the demon leaving the man who wandered the wilderness and came back and found the house clean and empty. And so he went and got seven demons worse than, seven more demons, and they came back and they inhabited the guy and his condition was worse now than it was in the beginning. It's that kind of thing. We don't want to be worse. We want to succeed. It's a simple way to start, just not what we expected. <laughs> All right, it's time. See you next time. We'll talk about next time. His use of the word charismatic, especially as it applies to three things. Repentance, uh, despair, and humility.